In Sochi, Russia, Vladimir Putin is always right. <laughs> you think we're stupid? This liberal will be all about socializing our own. Basically, taking over and the government running all of your companies. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If you got a business, you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. But we have to pass the bill. We have to have to pass the bill. We have to pass the bill. But we have to pass the bill so that you can find out what is in it. I just noticed that uh, I got nothing down Well, thanks for tuning in to Always Right for a very special extended Olympic edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jake Bronger. We've got a great show coming up for you today, and we've got a special guest host, uh, Boris, calling all the way in from Sochi, Russia. Boris, can you hear, hear me all right? Yes. Name is Boris Tunchobula. Very excited to be here. Thank Big you. Big fan, Jake, of your show. Really? <laughs> no, not really. Oh. I make myself laugh just saying this. But Putin says we must come on because stupid Americans will not come to Sochi Olympics. Well, so we says. have to reach out and pull in bigger audience. Okay. Well, is there anything you want to say about the Olympics? Yes, I would like to say one thing about the Olympics. Oh, geez, the games are already getting started. Well, better hurry okay, up. Okay, listen. Listen. The Russian people will uh -huh. win because we drink straight from bowl. Straight from you the bowl. Weak Americans do not know how to train like the Russians do. No, that we is don't why do that. We will be more successful. Okay. Now. Yeah. Hey, well, no, what do you think? Stop. What? Stop. Hold on. Do your monologue. Okay. Uh, well, how about this? Wendy Williams, the talk show host, is donating one of her wigs to the Smithsonian. <laughs> nobody cares. Who is Wendy Williams? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Next. Okay, well, CNN covered that Chris Christie and Rick Perry just don't like each other. Uh, Rick Perry said that Chris Christie's problems probably, uh... uh <laughs> Your Rick Perry always seems to forget. Not like Putin. <laughs> okay, uh, and how about this? McGruff the crime dog, Boris, was sentenced to 16 years for pot and access to a grenade launcher. <laughs> Take a bite out of crime. Silly American stereotypes. All right, how about this one? Uh, Bob Costas uh, had a really bad red eye on a newscast, and it was said to be as red as the old Soviet flag. I will not listen to you talk anymore about the great Russian people. Enough of your stupid monologue, and enough about Soviet Union. Okay. If it's gone, it never was. Russia is forever. It never Let's was. Let's get on okay. with the rest of your show. I am sure it will be subpar. Okay, can we cut him for now? Can we cut him off? Thank you. Okay. Uh, great rest of the show coming up for you. Filmmaker AJ Schnock is here to talk to us about the new movie Caucus. And for the Committee on Intelligence, Nick Davis and James Molina will tackle the State of the Union address. Stick around. This episode of Always Right could have been sponsored by the Coalition for Afghan Democracy. <laughs> Democracy won't work, you stupid Americans. Putin tells me this. Okay, and we're back here on Always Right uh, with AJ Schnock. Uh, big interview for me. AJ is a filmmaker based in Los Angeles who uh, uh, actually helped make the movies uh, We Always Lie to Strangers, Convention, Kurt Cobain About a Son, Gigantic, A Tale of Two Johns, and uh, the one that we're here to talk about with him the most today, uh, which is Caucus. Uh, AJ was a... Uh, Let's see, nominated for a 2007 Independent Spirit Award for Kurt Cobain About a Son, and was the first recipient of AFI Silver Docs Cinematic Vision Award. Uh, so, AJ, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited about this. Hello, good, sir. How are you? <laughs> Doing quite well. 
Um, well, let's just jump right into uh, you know the making of Caucus. Obviously, you didn't do it by yourself. Who uh, who helped you do it? Um, well, I, it was made mostly with uh, me and uh, my filmmaking partner uh, Nate Truesdale. We um, both went to Iowa starting in around April of 2011, and uh, for the great majority of our time there, it was just the two of us in our rental car and a couple of cameras, and we were driving around uh, the great state of Iowa trying to catch up with uh, with candidates and kind of capture what it meant to run for president in uh, in one of the early states. Okay. And uh, you guys, uh, you guys were obviously there for a very long time, all the way through the caucuses. You covered eight candidates. Went to all. Did you guys make it to all ninety-nine counties? Uh, no, we didn't do the full Grass Lake, we, uh, <laughs> or the full Santorum. Um, I think we did about. Uh, uh, I think we tallied it. It was something close to sixty. Um, but it, uh, I, we did. We definitely saw a lot of a lot of the states. Okay, well, sixty. That's not bad. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think we beat Romney. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, okay. Uh, now, what was some of the things uh, you obviously did convention the, about the Democratic 2008 convention? Um, what what prompted you to come out and do the, uh, a movie about the Iowa Republican caucuses? Well, the convention film actually was uh, was done because we had wanted that year to cover the, the 2008 Iowa caucuses. I had gone uh, when I was in college. Um, I went to the University of Missouri and went to journalism school and kind of fell in love with uh, the caucuses uh, first time I went. It just seemed amazing to me that the entire political and media world would descend upon Des Moines of all places. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd kind of always been thinking about doing a film about the caucus. Um, and 2008 seemed like a great year, but we just got too late of a start. But the excitement of doing something sort of led us to, to do something uh, in Denver that year in part because I had a, a producer, Britta Erickson, who, who lives and works in, in Denver and knew a lot of the people there at the Denver Post and in the city. She knew Mayor, now Governor Hickenlooper, for example. Um, so it was a way for us to kind of get access pretty quickly um, and, and do that story. But after having done that, it really just sort of increased my desire to actually do the caucus film I'd been thinking about for a long time. And, and going into Iowa, I certainly had no idea um, that it would be one of the craziest caucus seasons uh, ever with all of these amazing candidates and everybody like having, you know, their chance, their bite at the apple, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it obviously it certainly was competitive coming down to the wire and actually extended. <laughs> um, right. But, uh, what, you know, you're from Los Angeles. What were some of the, uh, did, did you have any kind of ideas going in about any of the candidates in particular, or did you just kind of, uh, like your movie kind of almost lays out, it just, it lets you experience and kind of form your own opinions. Yeah, I wanted it to be really observational. I think one thing we thought maybe coming in was that maybe um, maybe Michelle Bachman would be one of the main characters, which she ends up to be, but for a different reason um, than when we went in. You know, the idea that she was an Iowa native, that she was so closely tied to the Tea Party, uh, it seemed like a way that you could sort of explore um, – someone who wasn't Sarah Palin, but was a woman who was conservative and was, you know, trying to make her mark in a specific way. And here she was in her home state. Um, that seemed like a really interesting storyline. It ended up, you know, not being what happened with her. I mean, she was on top for a while. And, and so then, you know, it sort of became, you know, trying to show the reasons why someone who was initially so successful in Iowa ends up uh, coming in last place. Um, and, and that was, uh, that was sort of what happens when you go. You don't know what the story's going to be. You don't know who's going to finish first and who's going to finish last. Well, right. And it seemed like everybody, uh, except for Rick Santorum, for the most part, had their 
their rise and fall during the film. And I thought you guys covered that uh, just excellently with kind of, uh, you guys would show a lot of the clips of the footage and then kind of like the newspaper clippings about who's rising, who's falling. Um, and then obviously we, we had Rick Santorum come through uh, very late, but he was able to win it. Um, did uh, did your uh, obviously you had to show the documentary to probably a lot of people in Los Angeles to kind of you know see see how they were feeling about it and uh, kind of get a, an idea. Uh, were they all really big fans of <laughs> of the uh, subject? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, huge. I mean, no, Los Angeles, <laughs> the hotbed of Rick Santorum supporters. The new um, the, the new Los Angeles mayor, perhaps. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I I think what's great about. Um, you know, the folks I showed it to, and most of my friends are pretty liberal or progressive. Um, but I think, you know, that they were really open to to having their minds blown by the film, you know, and, and just finding out something about these candidates that they didn't know. Um, and so, you know, at the end, I'd have these really pro-choice women say to me, you know, that, look, I know that, um, you know, I disagree completely with Rick Santorum, but, you know, the way he talks about his family and, and you know, how he lost a child and almost lost another, you know, that's really compelling to me. And I understand where he's coming from. Um, and, and, you know, I'm all about like, well, can we have better dialogue? Um, you know, can we talk about issues uh, in ways that, you know, aren't so based in sort of demonizing one another. So that, that was really exciting to me to see that kind of reaction. Um, Cause clearly I think when they came in, if you would have asked them about Rick Santorum or any of these candidates, they probably would have had a much different reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think what you were able to capture, uh, the kind of rawness of each candidate, uh, I mean, obviously I was on the ground, uh, but what you guys were able to capture is some really powerful stuff, and you don't have to be a political junkie to be able to watch it. I mean, I, I think people who are actually even fed up with the system will see real people in this movie, and they'll be intrigued to keep watching. But uh, AJ, if I can switch up a little bit, uh, I want to talk sure. about uh, a couple other documentaries. Um, and uh, the kind of documentary filmmaking world, if you will, seems to be a little bit liberal. In the news recently, a documentary known as Frack Nation was pulled from the Minnesota Film Festival for what some people are arguing are political reasons. Did you have any trouble, you know, showing a movie about Republicans uh, uh, at any of your screenings? I think ours was more about the timing. You know, I mean, we it's a really precarious um, situation when you make a, a political film about a campaign, especially one that someone that people are really familiar with. Um, and I think that there were, you know, we did hear from someone early on that they, you know, they didn't really couldn't stand the side of the candidates. Um, I don't know if that was because they were Republican or because it was so close to the campaign that, you know, no one wanted to think about electoral politics. Right. Everyone's point. pretty exhausted from yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, they're probably sick of seeing Obama too. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I mean, clearly the indie film world is a, is a left of center world. Um, most programmers are left of center. Um, and most audiences are left of center. So the reasons why people, you know, choose or not choose to, sh to show films, I think, are are a little complicated. But I, I do think that, you know, um, I wish that we as a community, and I, I consider myself part of the documentary community, I wish that we as a community were more um, accepting and courageous and welcoming of voices that are different than the, the majority of those in the community. So, um, you know, I've actually said 
you know, at some of these film festivals, let's invite uh, conservative filmmakers. Let's let's have a forum about you know the ways in which uh, people who are making progressive or social issue films are really you know f- involved in the same challenges and issues that people who are making really conservative films are. What can we learn from one another? Um, so I think there are ways to sort of go to to approach it. I think uh, it's it, but it's certainly something that we should be talking about. Well, and then the other documentary I want to talk to you about is uh, MIT, which, although I think your guys is a lot better documentary, uh, MIT kind of came into the news recently. It's now up on uh, Netflix, I know, and and uh, people were saying for a long time in Iowa and other places that Mitt Romney's this untouchable, plasticky guy that we just can't relate to. Mitt kind of broke through that because it was up close and personal and showed a real person. What were your thoughts? Uh, obviously, the campaign handlers, if people like to call them, did not want Mitt to come out until after the election. But I think it showed that documentaries can be powerful stuff about really showing real people trying to serve their country. Yeah, and you've been part of campaigns, so you, you know that there are times when, you know, a long piece on the news or a, a feature in a like in the New York Times Magazine or the New Yorker, it can, it can be helpful because it can show people... Um, something about you that you don't get in a two-second soundbite. I mean, there's a lot of times there's not a lot of space on a newscast or even if you're a guest on a cable news show to convey anything more than whatever, you know, your issue of the day is or, or have to respond to someone else's questions. I think people have been afraid of documentary. Handlers have been afraid of documentaries um, with this thought that like, oh my, what if something is in there that will derail the campaign or will get out and will will see us in a bad light. I think they, they're thinking everything is like a, a macaca moment waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the reality is is that the upsides are, are probably um, more compelling than the downsides. And, and that's not when the campaign is controlling the, the material. But if you have a, a, a trusted documentary filmmaker, somebody who is um, who you can see has, has made other work and isn't out to like do gotcha style um, journalism, um, you know, you can only be helped by having somebody who can give more background and, and a different picture than people normally see. I think, you know, as we talked about in our film with, with Senator Santorum and other candidates as well, there's a Rick Perry moment in caucus that I, I think everybody who sees it goes like, Oh my gosh, I, I hadn't, I didn't see that Rick Perry during the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, certainly in the case of, of the Romney documentary. So um, it's, it's a challenge I think for, uh, handlers to realize that you know um, letting people see behind the curtain can often be a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, AJ, I love the film. I hope everyone can see it. How can they see it? Where, where is it going to be shown next? Uh, well, next week we are doing two public screenings on the East Coast uh, in Boston on uh, Tuesday night at the Brattle Theater and on Wednesday night at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics in Manchester. Uh, the following week it'll be in uh, Austin, Texas at the Austin Film Society, and uh, it'll be on uh, VOD, Netflix, and iTunes uh, later this spring, and you can pre-order the film right now at caucusfilm.com. Excellent. Well, hey, last question, AJ, I'll let you go. Did any point during the movie, uh, did any of the people that came out to join you, did they say, is this heaven? And you told them, no, it's Iowa. Um, I think we probably all thought that. (laughs) uh, If if we actually said it to one another, it was deep into drinks some in Des Moines after having been back uh, been back off of uh, a very long journey back back to the capital city well I, I hope you enjoyed my home state I know uh, with the, what you guys covered was excellent stuff uh, AJ Schnock thanks so much again for being on the program
Of course, Jake. Anytime. This episode of Always Right could have been sponsored by the Sochi Olympics. In Russia, do not complain about toilets. Do not fish out of it. And we're back with Always Right for an interesting topic. Uh, we're going to just tackle the State of the Union. It was uh, about a week ago, uh, and uh, it was really interesting. And I've got a couple great guests to come in and talk about it. we got Nick Davis, Republican strategist working on Capitol Hill. And, uh, and then the retread, James Molina, the uh, Democratic strategist uh, in Colorado. Uh, guys, how are we doing tonight? Good, good. How are you? Doing great, Jake. How are you doing? <laughs> doing excellent, guys. Well, I can tell you guys got a lot of energy, so let's pick that up right away and just run with it. Uh, let's do this, man. <laughs> James, what do you think? State of the Union, uh, President Obama's greatest moment ever, or did he do awful? Are you, do you mean great moment or greatest moment? Exactly. Is that what you're getting at? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'd say it was in line with most of his State of the Unions. This one, um, I think it was a little uh, more upbeat than I expected it to be. But um, in general, it was the same old uh, rigmarole, the same uh, verbiage and and platitudes that are inherent in every single presidential uh, State of the Union, that um, it's going to be optimistic, it's going to hope for things. He did seem to, uh, you know, want to pressure uh, Congress more to take action, which is great. There were some issues that he actually did specifically mention, which is nice instead of just general platitudes, but in general... It's the stat for me. It was the status quo of all state of the unions, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Nick, yeah, I got, I got to agree with that. Um, I mean, I'm coming from the right a little bit, but I I don't see any. I don't see this to be life changing at all. I honestly think it's probably one of the most overrated things in politics. Um, nothing's going to change. Um, everyone kind of celebrates it for like 36 hours and talks about it for the next day, but. Yeah. You know, in two days, no one talks about it ever again. Well, to me, it's a lot like, yeah, I agree with you guys. To me, it's like the the uh, the Pro Bowl for the NFL. You know, you're really excited when you hear somebody getting mentioned, uh, you know, and you hear about the special people that are going to be there. But then after that, you just, um, you know, it, it, you don't even really care to watch it. You just, you, you're just excited to hear, oh, that guy was there. That's great. That's great. But I will say this. It does make for a fun drinking game every time I can hear President Obama say, thank you. Hey, thank you. <laughs> it's thank true. you. Bush had his own fun drinking games as well. Thank you. Know. I was I was shot in about a minute uh, of trying to keep up with all the thank yous. But, he does um, more thank yous than Peyton Manning does Omaha calls. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I will say this, though. Uh, he didn't fumble on the play as much as the Broncos Ooh, did. Oh, but uh, that's too a soon. Burn just because I am in Colorado. Too my soon. My Broncos did <laughs> funny. so bad. Well, let's jump into the meat, uh, James, because I need you to explain this to me, perhaps, because it's something that I've never understood. Uh, President Obama, he did address education, and he did say, uh, I quote, as Congress decides what, what it's going to do, I'm going to pull together a coalition of elected officials, business leaders, and philanthropists willing to help more kids access the high-quality pre-kindergarten education they need. Um, there have been a lot of studies that uh, preschool does nothing for uh, in terms of how you come out as a student, yeah, and uh, I can attest to that. Yeah, um, I, I and so didn't learn anything. I, I view it. Uh, yeah, exactly. 
I just remember I got to skip a year of preschool when I realized that they were playing the same episode of Sesame Street. I said, we watched this yesterday, and they said, he's ready. He's ready for the next level. <laughs> really, it's just, I mean, let's be honest, it's a way for parents to start to go back to work um, and uh, or maybe right. to get some time off. Preschool is, uh, uh, you know, numbers counting uh, babysitting, I, I feel. Yeah. Uh, why it's... do we need to make a federal issue out of preschool? Go, James. <laughs> well, I felt that the preschool issue, I didn't realize you'd uh, tap specifically into that one, but <laughs> I do feel like, you know, Obama through his whole administration and, well, that a lot of presidents do is they always say, you know, education is the way to our future and um, is the key to our future that this is how you um, develop and, and hone skills here. But I would say, yeah, dumping a lot of money into preschool is a little frivolous to me as well. Um yeah, I'd, I'd say um, even at this point, college, we need to address the, the inherent problems of graduating and not being able to find work because people just go to college because that's what you're supposed to do. Well, but exactly. I, would, I yeah. figured that's a bigger problem to solve than, you know, our, our early education um, kids, you know, getting the, the – the care they need. Well, I agree with that. Nick, let me set you up then, because we'll, we'll write, we'll write then into college. He did talk about, uh, he announced a college opportunity summit, much like the beer summit. I'm guessing there's probably going to be a lot of people not doing anything. Oh, if it's a college summit too, there's going to be a lot of beer. Oh, that's probably true. Just less Sam um, Adams. It's going to be in Colorado. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, talking about going to college, uh, I read actually a kind of funny joke. It said, um, I wish what they would have taught me in school was, and there was things like uh, how to do taxes, how to vote, how to write my resume. But it says, but I can sure tell you what the hell the Pythagorean theorem is. I mean, there's so many things that we learn in school that we don't use. All three of us have degrees. Uh, James and I went and uh, kept spending money, got advanced degrees. Uh, Nick, uh, how important is... Uh, college education that we need to put more students in there and give more free money to colleges yeah i honestly my um i don't know if this is my my controversial thing to say of the night but <laughs> i don't think it's necessarily a good thing that everybody has a college education because at a certain point here here man Woo! at a certain point when everyone has a college degree you, you know, snob you're, you're not special anymore <laughs> when everyone's special no one is no and when it when it becomes to everyone has a bachelor's degree then the master's right. becomes the one then the master's, exactly. everyone has a master's then everyone has to go get a doctorate it's it's basically it's it's what is it it's um capitalism run amok in education yeah and it's and it's yeah. not working in that aspect right yeah no i would totally agree with that um i just think you know at a certain point it's just you know i don't want to be you know this this guy on the hill you know and saying no one else can have an education but you know at a certain point it is a i mean it's just it's it's like essentially it's education economics mm-hmm. can i can i um have input here uh sure yeah, man. All right. Well, um, <laughs> one of the bigger things I got out of grad school, one of those uh, little topics that was only covered for a few hours, but I was fascinated by, was a uh, liberal market economy. Yeah, liberal market economies versus coordinated market economies. And ours is a very liberal market economy. And say Germany would be an example of a coordinated market economy. But um, okay, I would debate with you on the first part, but continue. <laughs> um, well, and you could say France if you want to go to the extreme. Then, but um, basically, when you do get an education, they will pay for everything. But you have to go into one certain line of work, and you get trained for that all through your college. That specific trade, 
And if you ever want to switch jobs, um, coordinated market economies are not very flexible with you switching careers. Liberal ones right. like ours, you can go and do anything you want. You can just go to the next job right away in any other field. For coordinated ones, um, for most basic, yeah, you're basically stuck in that career unless you want to start at the very bottom rung again and go to some other career. And the other, well, the other thing about coordinated versus liberal is, you know, when the, there's an economic downturn, of course, coordinated market economies they don't lay off workers. Everyone gets a pay cut. In liberal market economies, you fend for yourself. It's more of it's just capitalist. You know, if you're not working, then you lay off workers, and they're on their own. But um, in general, you know, you, you kind of got to pick your market economy you want to live in if you're in the Western world. Well, and I just think that the problem with the current education system is there was, and I think you guys all were told this too, you can be whatever you want to be when you grew up. Uh, the problem with that oh, is, yeah. yes, you probably yeah. can. But no one wants um, to, to pick to up degree. garbage for a living. But, but uh, exactly. <laughs> you won't be getting paid what you think you'll get paid. Uh, There's all the stuff when I first got to college about how much more money you will make with a bachelor's degree. And it was absolute nonsense because I right. could have chose to go into, uh, you know, classic English literature. And uh, uh, and I would have come out of there saying, oh, geez, you know, I really uh, I can really talk to you guys about Shakespeare and uh, people, you know, hiring at McDonald's would go, we don't need that. You know, <laughs> and, uh -huh. a lot of places would just say, you know, that what that we don't need that. And that's the problem. You know, the, the there used to be a joke uh, that, uh, that the Democrats would use against uh, President Bush. They'd say this is this is why you don't tell a retarded child he can be whatever he wants to when he grows up. But, uh, you know, personally, I, I don't know. I've told you guys this before. Uh, they always say shoot for the moon, shoot for the stars. I find yeah, that no, it's hard shoot, to breathe no, up shoot there. Shoot for the moon. Shoot yeah. for the moon, and if you miss, you'll land among the stars. There you go. I find it's very hard to breathe up there, and so I think they're really just trying to thin the herd because people that buy uh, into that, um, <laughs> that, that, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to go occupy New York because I got a master's degree in, in uh, Eastern European history, and I'm not making $75,000. This is this right. is a joke. And you gotta understand too, we that our generation is a product of the environment we grew up on. That um, we have been born and raised to think that we are special. We're the we're the chosen, you know, people to excel. We were saved in, by the bell. In this world. That's what I remember. Our generation. Darn, nice, saved nice quote, bell. Zach Morris. <laughs> yeah. So um, no, we we've been we've grown up with this air of entitlement, and it's hard to kick that because when you get into the real world and you realize, hey, like people are are going to pay me dirt for uh, this hard work for the first 10 years of my life. I don't want to do this. I'm special that we have this big comeuppance and all of a sudden, yeah, what's going on here? There's something disjointed. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. And I think that even came from our parents. I still remember at the grocery store with my mom once and seeing the scanner. And I told my mom, I said, what would happen if I scanned my hand over that? And she said, it would come up and it would say that you're priceless. And I thought, oh, I would, I would say worthless, but well, same thing, you know, right? um, you apparently don't shop at the high end stores. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's change go. tack a little bit. Let's talk about uh, another big issue. Uh, President Obama is issuing executive orders. Um, he, he's going to work around Congress uh, any chance he gets because yeah. Congress won't work with him. Uh, he raised the minimum wage. Um, and uh, he says that basically uh, wages is a big issue for him. Uh, women's wages need to go up, which is funny because he pays his uh, White House yeah, staff the ladies less. But how uh, much does he pay his interns? What's that? 
How much does he pay well, his interns? Well, I'm as sure we all know, the interns, sure internships are modern-day slavery. <laughs> it is, and that's, yeah, another, that's a completely different subject we could tackle another day. Well, actually, no, they, they did point that out. They said uh, the Democrats that are currently supporting the rise in the minimum wage, uh, something like 95% of them don't pay their interns. Yeah, um, that's ridiculous. They need well, to be on a livable wage. So uh, they do that I guess because no one else pays their interns, so you know it's it's just a budgetary. Uh, actually, the first two internships I had, they paid me, um, and then Obama really? became president. But I've um, never had an internship where I got paid, and I wish I did. Cause well, I you're a Democrat; you got to fall in line, James. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> no. Apparently. So, what do you guys think about this? What do you do? You think he's allowed to do these? Uh, th- these are considered some more uh, aggressive executive actions. Obviously, executive actions have been allowed before. Oh, please, uh, Nick. Are are is it okay that he's doing this? And what are your thoughts on the minimum wage? Yeah, I mean, as far as the executive order, I mean, you know, that only applies to federal employees, and you know, yes. they've already got these. They've already got these contracts set out for like budgets and how much they're going to pay people. So honestly, you know, he can it's, say it, but like how, that's how much effect is that going to have? Yeah, it's a drop in the bucket there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as like paying people, I'm not sure how that fits into like a budget or appropriations, to be honest with you. But I mean, whether you can do it or not is, you know, I don't, it's, it doesn't really bother me as much as just what the actual effect. The effect is nothing, you know. It's really easy for him to, like, do this as a show of, like, support, you know. But, you know, as far as, like, a minimum wage on the whole, um, you know, there, I think it's a very emotional issue because nobody, you know, wants to be paid, you know, dirt cheap. But at a certain level, I mean, it's, you know, it's economics. If you're going to pay people more, uh, if there's going to be a – a bigger labor expense, you know, people are going to hire as many workers, you know, you know. Okay. James, your thoughts? Is this, is this where I respond? <laughs> yes. All right. Um, yeah, I think um, it seems like we're not really butting heads too much in, our, in this debate. Um, that the fact is there's a lot of arguments, both sides for the minimum wage and most economics professors will tell you that the more you raise the minimum wage, it directly and proportionally affects unemployment. You raise the minimum wage, unemployment goes up. Say, take a um, look at you. Are you sure you're a liberal, James? Because take, sometimes uh, take, you really <laughs> impress me. No, here's the thing. Take, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Take <laughs> Finland. They don't have a minimum wage, but here's the thing: um, McDonald's employees make about nineteen dollars an hour. Take Sweden. You know, they have a minimum wage of, what is it? It's I think it's uh, like $17 an hour. But um, at the same time, they have very low unemployment, but you do 5%. I'll take, I'll take the, the, the liberal side of this. How much would you guys say is subsidized by, um, you know, people have these low wages. How much do you think is actually, do you think these low wages are subsidized by the government, you know, with uh, social programs and SNAP and TANF? I think honestly that here's the problem is with when I have with uh, these these things that are subsidized by the government is when they are subsidized by the government these people aren't storing their money away they're spending it in the market right away so giving these people any sort of welfare any sort of assistance that's going to have a direct impact on the market and always will I think when it comes to low income people well, that James, they're always going to spend that money I got to jump in and, and and disagree I mean if, okay. if if you, if I'm getting paid, let's say eight bucks an hour or seven twenty five, I think it's what it currently is, and uh, and all of a sudden you raise my wages to let's say ten dollars, um, 
what the companies will do because they're all of a sudden taking a bigger cut by playing, paying their employees more is they will pass that cost off in their product. So exactly. I will continue to buy things, but then uh, also I will see, geez, look at the prices. They're a lot higher. I better try and make it a little bit further because it, there'll be an initial shock where people go, wait, the dollar menu's gone? Oh, geez. Well, I'm not going to buy that then this week. And let's, I actually think it, it will stunt no, growth. I'm sorry to uh, interrupt there and disagree sharply, but let's do a little cost breakdown of what it really means to raise something by a little bit. Say uh, Papa John's got a lot of flack for that, saying they wouldn't be able to you know, um, help their employees so much with Obamacare. But the fact is actually, you know, the to actually give your employees health insurance, it only raises the price. First of all, we're in a very cheap country relative to the rest of the world. Everything's cheap here. That's why people come here to shop for Christmas. But when you, but basically, but here's the, here's the simple fact is, actually I think Chipotle computed it that um, if they raise their prices by fifty cents, they can afford to give everyone in their company health care. You know what that kind of thing is? I say to that, I'd be more than willing to raise the price of a burrito by fifty cents to give everyone in your company health care. If you're not willing to do that, you don't really have much of a heart. Uh, well, I don't know about Sorry. you, James, but when I see, when I hear, uh, and Nick can probably back me up on this too, because uh, there's a Chipotle uh, near us in D.C. on Capitol Hill. When uh, when I go in there, Denver based, and uh, I say, uh, yeah, I'd like a burrito with guacamole. They go, guacamole costs extra. When one day I finally asked how much more, they told me, <laughs> I said, holy crap, I don't want it. When you hear these prices, they go up and no, people the is when naturally respond it, negatively to it. You're with the rest of the world, though. Right now, we live in an environment where our inequality levels have never been higher. Our Gini index has never been higher. And we're well, there's a lot of income the price inequality of a, right of a now. Big Mac. But we're really complaining about the price of a Big Mac being three fifty versus $4. Like, big really, Mac is index, that where baby. our heads are at? Well, okay, listen, we can't spend all the time on minimum wage. I, I, we got to try and start to wrap up. Um, but uh, sure. let's talk about Obamacare, because obviously that is Obama's claim to fame. Or did James, you're, you weren't going to correct me on that one? Um, oh, well, I should say, Jake, it's the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> <laughs> you need to care. Let's not uh, tarnish the image already. Yeah, yeah exactly. We've already seen... Uh, a lot of people get dropped from their insurance. If you like it, you can keep it. Apparently not. Um, doctors, uh, and correct me, Nick, who is the, the senator uh, has cancer? He's retiring, and his doctor just dropped him. Uh, I did not hear that, actually, but uh, that would be Tom Coburn of Oklahoma. That's, That's interesting. Correct, yeah. I, did that happen today? Uh, that was, I believe, a week ago, roughly, uh, right, right around the time of the State of the Union. I, well, no, I, I knew that he retired, but or he's going to retire, I should say, but I did not hear about mm -hmm. his uh, I, Wow, that is interesting. <laughs> well, so, James, I mean, yeah, March 31st is, you know, uh, they're, they're yep. desperately trying to get, they had NFL players tweeting, hey, go get covered, it's awesome, we're all loving it. Right. Um, but uh, what do you think? How, how's it going so far? Looks like a mess to me. Here's the deal is, for me, I'm all for just universal health care. Just get rid of all the administrative costs. Don't worry about the administrative part of anything. What do you and, mean uh, get rid you, of the administrative costs? I'm, I'm sorry. Well, look at look at England. Look at Scandinavia. That's what you do. Is when you don't they have to worry about who's covered. Costs, it, when, when you don't the have universe... to pay people who are looking into who's covered and who's not, when you actually get the insurance industry who's profiting off of you and the – 
Well, in whatever medical facility you're at, you actually end up with a null gain or loss. I mean, the fact is, you look at any modern country, and they have universal health care. The U.S. is the exception. It's the only exception. And you wonder, why is this? But the fact is, I'd be fine with paying for health care when everyone has to pay for it. But as far as it is right now, when you're forcing us to pay for it, this is where I will, will probably agree with you guys that, you know what, when March 31st comes around, I don't have health care. I'm not going to really feel that pressured still to apply. The fact is, our, our age group, we're supposed to subsidize the older people so because right, exactly. they know that – yeah, so they know that we're – because we're not really contributing or actually sucking money away. So at the same time, it's it's one of those I don't want to be a part of it. I honestly don't sure, want to pay for uh, Obamacare. Well, I don't James, wanna, I got to cut in. Nick, I need you to wrap it up. You got the final word. Yeah, I mean I – you know, I think – like I said, this is another emotional issue like minimum wage. You know, people get all worked up because it's it's a very emotional issue. It's like you're dealing with people's welfare and people how they, you know, their health and how they live their lives. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, when the people – it's just – it's a total design failure when the, the backbone of this law is that the young people are going to subsidize the old people. But if you can't even get people to – if you can't even get young people to sign up, you know, and I've considered not signing up as well. It's you know I don't need it. I'm a young, healthy individual, so I just think the whole premise is totally flawed. I don't think anyone really is against wanting against people having health care. It's just a totally flawed system. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, we could go all day on health care. We might have to do a whole other episode on it. We didn't get to Iran. We're going to have to do that in an upcoming episode. Uh, but James Molina uh, out of Colorado, Nick Davis here in D.C. with me. Uh, thanks, guys, for being on. I appreciate it. And hey, thanks for having us, Jake. Thanks, thanks for having us. And I would just like to say that, uh, do I have a heart? I think so, because I want these programs to last and work for more people. So <laughs> take that, James. <laughs> nice, nice follow-up. Yeah, that was nice.